Hey, it's Devorah. Thank you for joining me today as we dive deep into the world of life cycle events. We're talking about baby namings, brises, barmabat mitzvahs, weddings, end of life ceremonies, anything that you can think of that is truly a once in a lifetime moment for you and those you care about. And we are going to go way, way, way beyond the checklist. I needed a vacation from my vacation. It was that good. It was awesome. Oh, that's awesome. Yay. Yeah, you and I never, I'm like, everybody else gets alone time with dad. (laughs) 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 Like if we had met like at camp, we would have been the ones who've been friends and then you would have had to meet everybody else. But I'm like, all right, I'll just play tag on to everybody else's friendship with him. Where where in Nashville are you? Um, I am in uh, Davidson County, which is in a little place called Bellevue. It's just yeah. a little suburb outside, you know, 15 minutes from downtown. Yeah, I lived there for 10 years in Bellevue. In Bellevue? Yep. All right. How did we not? When, when did you? 94 to 2004. All right. So we totally missed each other. I was in Tucson, Arizona, and Boston over those years. Yeah. Yeah, What'd you do here? Well, I moved there thinking that I was going to find my way in the music industry. And either my goals were, you know, get signed to a record label deal or get signed with a publishing house to be a songwriter on staff. And then about six months, maybe less, after moving there, I I found my way back to summer camp as an adult and started helping out at camp and realized, no, I, this is what I want to do with my life. I want to do camp. Oh yeah. I I totally get that. All I want to do is camp. And here we are. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Here we are. So, um, there's so many things that like, I just on a personal level, I would love to talk with you about, but, um, thank you for accepting my invitation for helping me develop my first ever life cycle design summit. And the purpose of which is to bring together people like you uh, who have something to say about what makes a life cycle event pretty spectacular and meaningful and purposeful. So um, I think, you know, if you want to just ask me any questions before we kind of start and anything we want to add at the end is fine. I'm going to edit and all those good things so we can do weird stuff that either we can keep in or uh, take out afterwards. But, you know, for me, like, I don't do well super formal. I'm like this. Okay. You know, just lay it on me. Tell me all about it. Okay. We can laugh. We can cry. But so do you have any specific questions or we'll just kind of play and see what happens? Absolutely. And can I tell you a secret? Yeah. You're my first interview. I feel yeah. like we should hold hands, make a circle, hold hands and say Shekhianu. See, <laughs> that is like the opening to how do we create in a virtual setting? How do we connect? How do we create a space where we are together, even when we're far apart? And that's a lot of how this came about is, um, you know, I've been helping people with their life cycle events for, you know, a long, long time. Uh, and this is brand new. And this is like, you know, all of us being resilient and figuring out not just, okay, I guess we could still have it, 
I guess we could just be six feet apart. I guess we could, you know, decide like to have a few people together and so forth. But there's still possibility for having it all, even when we are in our own little squares. So I think we're gonna be talking kind of like how to hold both, that this is something people could take away both in person, how to have their once in a lifetime milestone event, the upgraded, up-leveled, heart-centered, open, and what does that actually look like? Especially for people who often feel like, A, you know, they want it, but they're not creative. So they're like, okay, what do I do? And then we've got um, a lot of particulars that people face at a life cycle event, which could be um, on areas of inclusiveness, uh, whether that's with people who are attending of different generations or different, uh, you know, differing abilities, uh, different pronouns. We've got ranges. And so how do we include everybody and what are certain things we can use to tie together um, and, and of course, to me, music is like, okay, let's start there. I mean, it, it, it can shape so much. So before um, we dive into those questions, um, yeah, I just want to first, again, of course, say thank you for being here. Dan Nichols, ah, wild. and uh, you know, I've listened to your music for years, uh, both at, for you as an individual artist, but also uh, with your band with your Jewish rock band, 18. Uh, and I am one of the lucky recipients of getting to uh, have, the, have you help cultivate one of the most spectacular bar mitzvahs that I've ever attended, which is my nephews. So thank you so much for joining me. And today we're going to talk about how music plays, plays such a remarkable, magical, role in developing the potential for any event, for any event, life cycle events, that could be a baby naming, to a shiva, to a anniversary celebration, you know, and all the things in between that we should all be so fortunate to take time uh, to honor and celebrate. So yeah, introduce yourself in any way that you want to, and why um, why you do what you do. Let's just kind of start there. Thanks, Devorah. My name's Dan Nichols. I live in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, when I was seven years old, my whole family converted to Judaism. Uh, and a year after that, they sent me to a Jewish summer camp right around the corner from our house, just happenstance, but it's a camp called Goldman Union Camp Institute in Zionsville, Indiana. Zionsville is a suburb on the northwest side of Indianapolis. And it was there that I met uh, one of my best friends in the world, Steve Derringer. You know him as Kobe Derringer, and you know him as Kobe because he met your sister Ariel in Israel, and he decided when he was in college and on the Israel program that he wanted to go by his Hebrew name, Yaakov, and Kobe for short. So you and your whole family know him as Kobe. I got to know him first as Steve. But I, I met my best friends in the world at 10 years old, at camp. I had my bar mitzvah at camp. I learned to read Hebrew at camp. I learned to play guitar at camp. I met my wife at camp. Um, I learned to be the parent that I wanted to be become by being a counselor at camp and learning how to take responsibility for other human beings and how to learn how to build relationships. 
So I'm, I'm a camp kid at, at heart and a Jewish summer camp kid that my parents, if they were right here, they'd say that camp has been every bit a Jewish parent to me as my own mom and dad. And I mention all that because, I, you know, with being with you today and talking about what we're going to talk about, I think about what camp taught me to value, um, that when when we want to build community, we want to make time to sing together. Even those of us who would never call ourselves singers, it's not about performance. It's about an experience. And that's the difference. It's not about sounding great. It's about making a sound together. And that that can be really important, not just when we say it's time to pray, please rise for Baruch Hu. So I grew up in that as a nine-year-old kid just being swept along in it because there was a 19-year-old song leader you know, young man or young woman like Don Cincinnatus or uh, Ian Silver or Lee Friedman, who when I was nine and 10, they were 19, 20 year old high school or college people standing up there going, repeat after me, sing this song. And we just did because it was the norm in the culture. Mm -hmm. um, so I grew up in that and learned to just love that. And so I'm with you today because of what s summer camp did for me. And um, when I was in my 20s, I started a Jewish rock band called 18. And we've put out, I don't know, about 11 or 12 albums since 1996. And so I do that too. So I now have discovered over my life a, a passion for writing music, Jewish music, writing music, period. And I realize I write music because I have to. It's as important and essential to me as breathing. So I'm a, a creative in that way. Um, and then this is where you're, we're meeting today in my studio, which is over on my garage. And have my guitars and my amplifiers out and at the ready. And this is my life. I, um, I'm a dad to a daughter, a 15-year-old daughter named Ava. And she's a camp kid now. She goes to the same camp where my wife and I um, grew up. That's beautiful and very affirming. And she plays guitar now, and that's a trip. So that I, my life is pre-COVID is made up of traveling 190 days a year all over North America, going to synagogues during the school year, and do, going to summer camps in the summer. This period of time, like every, for everybody, has been funky with me being here. And um, I have, despite of the funkiness, I have found a way to look into that white light on the camera and to really believe that you're really there and to talk to you like you're really there and just believe that. And um, that's helping. I know, I know it's helping me. I can tell you that. That's what one thing I do know. It's so good. Thank you. I, I am, you know, there, we could just talk about the influence of camp and community and intergenerational expression and you know the extension of community as a result of that and that feeling that you are speaking to which is like holding on to that and how do we is there is it possible to replicate any of that in these milestone events with people who may have never actually even had that experience. So, you know, this is just the beginning of a really beautiful conversation. Um, I would also like to just say I'm as much as I, I you had shared with me briefly that for I'm, I'm in Nashville, Tennessee, and you had shared briefly that you had actually lived here and like went for it. And as much as like, of course, I wish you were my neighbor. I'm so glad that you figured out what you were passionate about and how to express that in the world and that you took action to fulfill on that because the difference that you are making in thousands and thousands of lives um, is, is so profound. It's a mitzvah, what you do. 
So thank you for figuring yourself out and taking yourself away from Nashville. That's I'm going to have to go now and call my mom and tell her you <laughs> said that. I'll call her. Mom, I'll... someone really likes me. I know, totally. <laughs> so glad. Thanks, Devorah. So, thank you so much. Yeah. So I'm curious. Um, we can start kind of where, if you would like, to just share even a personal experience where whether it was for you or at an event that you attended where the music was it transformed what actually was possible for the people at a particular event i i certainly have had those experiences but you've had thousands but if there's something you want to hone in on i'd love to hear it i appreciate you asking me the question and i appreciate that you asked them to me in advance so i could reflect on them and i actually came up with several answers I want to settle on one that um, is, it was born in failure and then there was a shift through that failure and it became a huge success and a huge, and there, and it became a huge learning point for me, a, a point of reference where I learned a lot, you know, as a, my wife has said, failure is not failure, it's feedback. As long as you're willing to use it as information, it's only failure if you're not willing to do anything with it. Well, I was supposed to be song leading for uh, a group of folks in a home in the very um, wealthy area of San Francisco for a, about 40 uh, very wealthy Jewish folks, the uber hip uh, in their 30s. Uh, and I had a plan. I, had, I picked out the songs and I was, I was supposed to song lead an experience that we would end up with Havdalah and uh, separating Shabbat from the rest of the week. And um, I picked out all the songs that I'd experienced that worked well at camps everywhere. At that time, I'd probably been t touring summer camps for about 10 summers at that point. And I picked out, I thought I picked out all the best catchiest songs that were good for group singing. And no one sang. And I was doing all of my direct eye contact and um, I was positive and I was inviting and I was unflappable in my optimism. Nobody was singing. And so there began this like quiet voice in the side of my head going, you really suck at this. They don't want to sing and you are asking them to sing and now you're just in this terribly awkward place. It just kept going like this until finally I pulled out a song that I had not planned on singing, but it was a little bit in my like, uh, what do I do? It was a bit of a panic. And um, what I didn't know was going to happen. But I picked out this song by Ben Lee. It's all in English. Ben Lee is an Australian songwriter. I think he is Jewish, but I don't know if he identifies as a Jewish songwriter or a songwriter who's Jew who happens to be Jewish or if there's even a difference for him. But I love this song. It's a song of his that he's talked about. It's called Song for the Divine Mother of the Universe. And it's all in English, and it's all repeat after me. He sings, sweet mother, I'm coming home. <laughs> now I know I'm not alone. It's all call and response, the entire song. And he, his attitude about the song is we sing a lot about God as man, God as king. Um, but we don't, we, and God as father. But we don't sing a lot about God as woman, God as mother. And what would it be like if, if I, I, Ben Lee, wrote a song? That's, that's the whole angle of the song. Well, what I noticed was I started singing and inviting, and one by one, this group that could, for 30 minutes, couldn't have been less engaged, started engaging. 
and turning and singing and focusing. And by the end, everyone was settled and, and focused on the song and singing. Everyone. And I know that because I, everyone was not singing and I was looking around. I mean, I was remembering how I was really holding on to, I want you to sing with me and you're not. So I was getting angrier and angrier because the world's not doing what I wanted to do. And then it happened and everybody sang and the room shifted. And then there was this pause of, that was, everyone was holding this silence with intention. Nothing was happening and everything was happening. And this breath and then this focus in, like shift into Havdalah. And um, it taught me a few things that sometimes a group needs time to get there. Just because I wanted it to happen within five minutes. Maybe the group needed 30 minutes to kibitz and talk and get out their, their itsiness of, you know, their, their nerves. Maybe everybody was nervous, even though they were cool people. Maybe they needed time to settle in. Maybe it was the song. But what I learned was not to give up in, in, in committing to a, a, a musical moment with people a singing moment, group singing moment with people, not to give up on it. Just because it wasn't working as fast as I wanted doesn't mean that it wasn't valuable. Uh, maybe it's the song. Maybe something about the nature of singing about Sweet Mother. Maybe call and response. Maybe where I pitched the song in a lower register so it was comfortable for everybody. Maybe because 30 minutes later I had calmed down and I was different. There are a lot of variables. But what I can tell you was my experience when the song ended, the room was transformed and together and connected. So that, that's one thing I wanted to share with you. Thank you. I felt transported through your sharing of that experience. And it's just really tremendous because I can see and feel how for any of us when we are planning an important event whether for a group or we're focusing on one person or highlighting an event and we're we so badly so desperately want everybody to experience and feel what we want for them and the disappointment or the fear that can come in uh, in when it's not happening the way that you imagined. I was talking with somebody who I'm assisting in planning a B'nai Mitzvah, and I said, there's, you know, there's a real correlation like when we're talking about a birth and we might have a birth preference or some people call it a birth plan. And we think about what we want and how it's gonna go and all the things you know, that we talk about in advance with our healthcare practitioners and then we're there. And some of those things may actually come to fruition and some things don't. And to be able in that moment to not be so attached to the specifics, you know, the vision, but be willing to include all of it and allow it to arise in exactly the way that it needs to. And that's what I'm hearing in this. So do you have any advice for our listeners, our viewers on how they can approach uh, their own special moments, uh, you know, 
in, in, in this way you're describing, like how do you now shift differently or prepare for this? And maybe because you've worked with the hosts and hostesses a lot, how do you communicate that to them? Well, I appreciate you asking the question. I'm, I'm flooded with a bunch of thoughts as you're talking. Um, first off, I came in with the plan expecting that things would go according to my plan. And when they didn't, they didn't get rattled. I got rattled. So that's something for me to think about. Wow, did I build contingencies? Did I build, if the group goes here, this is what I'll do. If they go 180 degrees the other way, uh, this is, these are some things I might do. If they do something else entirely different, like some of them are here or some of them are not, what are my backup plans in the event that things don't go according to my plan? I didn't do that for myself. And I know that that would have probably, I know it would have helped me stay calmer and allowed me then therefore to be more present, probably do better work. Okay. Also, I'm thinking about something I learned from Donnie Mossing, who is a, um, a shliach tzibur, an artist, uh, lives in, um, in Los Angeles, Jewish guy that taught this concept um, about what do we see on lots of uh, arcs all over that the, the, the Arona Kodesh that holds the Torah all around the country, all around the world is Dalif Nehmi Ataomed, know before whom you stand. And often that's referring to God when you're praying. Beware that you're in God's house, know before whom you stand. Dani Mossing challenged us, song leaders, to think about it horizontally. Know your group. Mm -hmm. know your people and if you know your people that will help guide the choices you make and I look back on that experience that I shared with you where I was failing for about 30 minutes I didn't know anyone there except for the rabbi who at, who hired me mm -hmm. she said I want you to come do camp songs that lead into Havdalah so had I known the group I might have said to the rabbi I, I'm prepared to do camp songs and I know this group and I'm actually going to pack in my bags some non-camp songs, some Dave Matthews, some Hootie and the Blowfish, some other popular tunes that are on the radio that are hooky as all get out, mm -hmm. but that will get people turned and relaxed. And I will be the, 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 the boom box for the room for a little bit. That would probably work better for this group than singing the Na Na song or Not By Might by Debbie Friedman that might get their attention. I, had, I, had I known the group and had that plan, that might have been something. So I think I want to share the value of knowing before whom you stand. Know your group. Having better relationships with knowing your people is an essential way for you to get to the pulse of what are, what are the goals? What, are, what does this group need? Um, and also I think about a song leading thing that I think could be helpful in this regard is I might, I'm trying to think, I might really not like Country Roads by John Denver. Now, I actually do like it, but I'm just using an example. Yeah. <laughs> I might really not like that tune. I might think any, I could say any number of negative things about the song. It just doesn't do it for me. But I know that as a whole, that tune gets a group loose and relaxed. And even if they don't like the song, they know the song. Mm -hmm. And that's a useful tool. And that if that's something I know they know and they like, then I should be ready to use it to help 
fulfill a goal for, for a program, for example. Like I'll say, I'll get concrete. Like if you're going to have a life cycle event and have like a, an afternoon bar or bat mitzvah that leads into Havdalah mm-hmm. and you want to do an outdoor thing with a fire and s'mores, Country Roads is probably one of the perf- most perfect songs to begin your campfire to get people. It's an icebreaker. It's meets, it gets everybody meeting on the same level. And um, is it a Jewish song? No. Is that the goal to be Jewish right off the bat? No. Your goal is to create a meaningful moment. Mm-hmm. That's the goal. And every community has different ways of doing that. So I'm not hearing you specifically say to me, like, how do you create only siloed Jewish meaningful mm-hmm. moments? But how, how do we get a group to feel connected with music? Yeah, so, and you've done such a great, great job kind of guiding us and thinking about how that is possible. And that is transferable to any, um, anything, to any organ, you know, place. Now, just let's speak for a moment about virtual. Okay. Well, recently, you know, I'm, I, I've attended a lot of virtual programs, assisting, you know, facilitating workshops. Um, and I've been on a handful of shivas, I'm sorry to say. And I've learned a lot in each and I've attended a lot of services. And there's been some glitches, right? There's glitch in trying to create music on this platform. What do you recommend? Oh man, okay. Um, I recommend authenticity and integrity to to the moment. And what do I mean? Is that um, this technology and the latency that's built in with within internet there will always be a delay between whatever you're saying and when i finally hear it and what i say and when you finally hear it and as long as there's that delay both ways we can never reliably sync and link up to do things dynamically together that doesn't have to do with zoom that has to do with just uh physics with light and sound traveling through a fiber optic cable but in terms of Zoom and some of the technical challenges um, that exist here, I can only speak about my own experience, which is um, on a technical end, I like to spend time well in advance of its go time to make sure all of my tech is sorted out and so that it, when the event, which will happen, that things aren't working the way I want, I've got time to work it out time to step away get a cup of coffee take a shower take a walk around the block and come back and call a friend and ask for help or do research on dr google and get back to it so that when i'm finally in the moment with people i'm not thinking about the technical stuff because i've worked that out in advance and i can now be present so that now i can use my training and know that when you look someone directly in the eyes and use their name that that matters then i then apply that to the camera right there mm-hmm. and trust that that's going to work in a similar way as it would if I was in a Baydom at some camp around the country sitting on the floor crisscross applesauce. Well, actually, um, as you said that, one of the things that I've kind of developed with these virtual settings is to, depending on the gathering and the appropriateness, that if there is a song that really resonates, rather than even just playing it, on mine, in a, if, if something we've been planning, I've been helping somebody plan in advance, we will uh, it, share the song with everybody that they are able to download. And then take a moment where people all together, we're all on silent, but everybody 
individually is able to listen to the song. Just, have you ever been to like a silent dance and everybody's got their headphones and everybody's just going crazy? It's like yeah. that. But to create that, like we're all, close our eyes as if we are all in that space together. But there's planning, a different kind of planning that goes into it. I want, that's made me think about something. I want to clarify authenticity and integrity doesn't mean that I just show up and I try to be a really nice person and I look at the camera and I don't have a plan and I don't have the contingencies and I haven't rehearsed. Authenticity integrity means to me in terms of relation of Zoom is that, you know what? I don't, I, you matter to me on the other side of this screen. I'm not gonna waste your time. I'm gonna spend my own time in advance of this rehearsing, maybe even recording on Facebook Live. You can do a, a feature where only you can see it. Okay. Do a Facebook Live and then watch it and listen to it and go, oh man, the bridge, I am not singing the right notes in the bridge. I need to do that again. And then erasing that one and doing another one. Spending an hour or two or three, if it's necessary, getting your program rehearsed so that when you are live, you can be relaxed. That's what I'm talking about, integrity and authenticity. The authenticity is in the prep, and the integrity is now that I've prepped, now I can just be myself. So I think a lot, of, when I see Zoom stuff that's crappy, what mm -hmm. I notice, and it doesn't mean it's so, what I notice is it very often it's because people haven't done their prep. Their, their technical prep in advance or their content prep in advance and worked out a timeline as well. Like my program's an hour. At 30 minutes, what do I want my tar what do I want to make sure I'm hitting by 30 minutes? Those kinds of things. Fantastic. So how can people get a hold of you and maybe be directed to certain kinds of music that they could think about incorporating into their events? Um, if they want to hire you to come uh -huh. and you know be there for if possible in person otherwise virtually how can we get in touch with you and how do we find like the perfect piece of music uh, to elicit the feelings like you gave us a few suggestions but specific to dan nichols and 18. well thanks devora one thing you could do is i guess go to youtube and type in my name in the search bar dan nichols and or Dan Nichols N18. And there are a lot of YouTube videos that come up from live stuff I've done over the years. Even some of the stuff that I've done recently since COVID hit us, that's been online Zoom concerts. You can go to my website, dannicholsmusic.com and get a whole earful of what's going on with me. And my Facebook page is Dan Nichols N18. Right. And, um, there was something else I wanted to mention about all of that. Oh, I want to encourage us to think about our favorite songs and why they are favorites. Mm -hmm. Actually do a little bit of analyzation, uh, analysis on what is it about this song that makes me feel? What is it about this song that makes me laugh? What is this, this song about that makes me cry, that gets me into my feels? Pay attention to those things and then look for when you label those things, look for Jewish springboard, like Jewish overlaps with those themes. Like, oh, every time I hear this song, I think about riding in the car with my dad on Saturdays to Ace Hardware. And every time I hear that song, I miss my dad in that moment. Well, that's your entry point for doing Yisker. I mean, the radical idea is to bring, how do you bring that song into Yisker in prayer? How do you bring that in with, um, 
you follow where I'm going? You can Absolutely. take it's so beautiful. your favorite playlists of yeah. anything and then look through a Jewish lens or themes that exist within the service. I think you need to create that, like the soundtrack of my Jewish life, you know, and it's just all your songs, but then how does that relate to these moments that are so precious, both before, during, after all these different phases that we um, are, have, again, just been, we're lucky if we get to have those experiences and share them with other people. I love this idea. Um, absolutely, all the ways to connect with you will be linked at the end of this interview. And um, is there anything else that you would like to say before we... Yes, please. Sign off. And you're welcome to sing. I, I got goosebumps, just so you know, just that little bit of divine. I don't know if you saw, I like got all teary and I was like, oh my gosh, I just, I like want, I wanted to be there. Even with like the cool 30 year olds in San Francisco that I probably would be like, okay, I'm just, I'm just going to, I'm just going to be over here. <laughs> they were very, very, very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sure. For those of us who don't pick up a guitar all the time and sing, for those of us who have been told by a music teacher when we're in, in, in elementary school, you just mouth the word, sweetie. Those of us who have told ourselves we can't sing, okay, I, I hear you. And I would acknowledge that for those of us who feel that way, having some dude like me or woman like you or human say, come on, everybody, let's just sing together, can be really awkward. And I acknowledge that. And I, I want to encourage us when we're cr creating moments, whether it's on screen like this in age of COVID or we're finally back together again in person singing together. Um, I want to encourage us to embrace that awkwardness, to have the courage to move through that, to not be daunted and turn away from that awkwardness. Oh, it's awkward. We can't do it. Because the breakthrough moment of actually holding a space where you've planned You've created contingencies. You have a moment that is meaningful. It's an opportunity to create a moment that lasts a lifetime in the hearts of other human beings. A moment when they say, I remember when, and I remember getting in touch with feelings that I hadn't been in touch with for a while, or I forgot about those feelings. And that moment is, is worth it. And when we sing, what we're giving ourselves a chance to do is take an idea, an emotion, and stretch it over, let's say, three, four minutes. Mm -hmm. And then when we stretch that feeling and that emotion over that, and then we amplify it with doing that with other people and we make it a communal moment, we have this rich, deep, meaningful moment that's transformative for all human beings, whether we sing or not, whether we sing well or we sing badly. And we're... Human beings need that. And often we turn away because it's, it, could be, it could be awkward or it is awkward. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm a here, I am here at any time to continue talking about that with you, helping in any way and anybody who's watching to, to share stories and, and successes and failures about how we can make this less awkward for people. Right. Thank you for that. Um, it so well said, and I know that that's going to make a profound difference for a lot of people to be able to step beyond their comfort zone or their reasons why they may not choose to include song and sound into their 
into their life cycle events. So thank you again for joining me. I am thrilled that I had this time with you and to be continued. All right. Congratulations. Yay. Thank you. Yay. <laughs> it's awesome. lovely to see you. You too. I'm going to just pause, stop my.